Um, okay, so we're in 1 Corinthians 1, and we talked about, last week we talked about the verse 7. Pretty much we focused in on verse 7, if you remember, where it says, So that you come short in no, in no gift, eagerly waiting, or expecting constantly, or expecting fully, is a better translation of that word, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we focused, just last time we focused in on the fact that that is, a, 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 that should be the most talked about re, uh, reality. In my opinion, and I don't, I don't think it's my opinion. I mean, I, think, I don't think it's just my opinion, but that should be the, the revealing, the gathering together for, in, in the expectation or just living in the expectation, the full expectation, the constant expectation of the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe should be the most talked about reality in any gathering of believers at any level of spiritual growth anywhere in the entire world. And and it's so it's so far usually off the map for us that we don't even, as I mentioned last time, we don't even translate it right. This um, this verse here I mentioned in the in the King James is is um, translated eager, uh, wait, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, when that Greek word is is the the revelation or the revealing. And the the waiting word isn't even right. It's 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 expecting or expecting constantly, expecting fully. And the reason I picked on the, some of those those translations there um, is, isn't isn't because I'm trying to be a, a Greek scholar. It's because we miss we 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 were so um, not familiar or so unfamiliar with the revealing of Jesus Christ, which is the very heartbeat and sum and substance of what Christianity is. That's what it is. That's the whole, it's Christ given, Christ revealed, Christ formed in the soul of the believer. It's the, it's, and if he's not revealed, then he's never known and never formed and never glorified. Christ revealed is, it's, I don't, I don't know. There's I, there's no way to overstate the, the necessity of that. So I'm just going to review a few things about that this morning, and then I want to get on into verse uh, eight. And I doubt I'll get to nine because verse eight gets into the day, um, the day of the Lord. And I want to say some things about that too, where he says, eagerly expecting, expecting fully the revelation of the uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ who will confirm or really make strong or, or establish you unto the goal. The word end there isn't end like finish. It's more, it's end, telos is the Greek word and it's, it's like goal or consummation or they're the, the point to which you are aiming. And so there's a goal of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revealing of Jesus Christ is, has a goal. Has a point, has a has a a point to which it is trying to bring the human soul, and I believe that that is stated in the next phrase, which is that you may become blameless or irreproachable in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And 
Um, I'm tempted just to jump right into that, but let me just say again. Let me, I just want to hit this. Do take one more whack at this revelation of Christ. We could we could spend, and I have. Uh, you know, there there's probably hundreds of of the teachings that are on our website that focus in on this reality. I, I would guess just because I can't seem to say talk about it enough. It's never. I can't experience it enough. I can't. I can't focus on it enough in my own heart. If Christ, see, why is it so important? It's it's so important because, like I said last time, nothing of the Lord's will happens in the Lord's body without the Lord's mind. Now, if that doesn't sound like a very striking comment to you, let's spin it around and say it kind of backwards or negatively. Let's say it like this. Everything that happens in the Lord's body that is done apart from his mind is not his will. It's the will of the flesh. It's, it's actually, and if you want to just really say it like it is, it's the will of his enemy working in the flesh. The will of his enemy working in man by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so it's not... This the, the whole Christianity is not about man's best try. It's not about man's good intentions. In fact, Christ came because man didn't have any good intentions. That's that's the whole problem. It says it right in the beginning, Genesis chapter six, verse five. Every thought and intent of man's heart was only evil all the time. Or a couple of chapters later in chapter 9. The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. The problem isn't... It wasn't just that we needed to be forgiven for our mess-ups. The problem is that we had a nature that lived by the by self, for self, and unto the unto the good of self. That's what, and really, that comes out from a from an enemy king. That comes out from a a ruler of darkness. That come that works in in the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. And so, serving the Lord or being a Christian or being a, 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 a worshiper of God or however you want to say it, it's not about it's not about man just giving his best or trying you know his hardest it's see that friends it that's the problem in fact that is the that is the that's the thing that god just rebukes them for over and over and over everyone doing what was right in their own eyes he didn't rebuke them for doing what was wrong in their own eyes he rebuked them for doing what was right in their own eyes you see the difference that's the very look at look at uh, judges uh and deuteronomy it, it, and uh, Jeremiah, uh, all over Deuteronomy, Moses says, "By no means, when we go into the land, should we should you continue to do what you're doing now, which is what, which is everyone doing what is right in their own eyes." Or um, in in uh, the last verse of, of Judges, there was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Or in Jeremiah. I think it's like six or eight times he says that the land was full of wickedness. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, according to... And and you have to understand that they're not doing what is wrong, according to their own eyes. They're doing what they consider to be right and justifiable and rational and good. But that's the very thing that God's condemning. Now listen, what happened in the Old Testament when people tried to serve 
or worship God according to their own ideas. Now, I'm not talking about worshiping Baal. I'm not talking about worshiping Moloch. I'm not talking about the Asherah poles or any of that other, those false gods. I'm talking about worshiping the Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh, Jehovah, however you want to say it. What happened when Israel tried to worship God according to their own thoughts? You see, God called it. It was a specific name that God seemed to use quite frequently about that. And it was the name Abomination. Abomination. And that's why God had to reveal Christ to them with clear pictures and laws and boundaries so that they could remain within the boundaries and abide within the boundaries of Christ, within the boundaries of of the covenant, within the boundaries. You see, they didn't know what that was. They had no clue. Their best guess was always a golden calf. And and so the Lord had to reveal Christ. Morning, guys. So, and someone says, I can hear someone saying, wait a minute, you're talking about the Old Testament. I think you got your covenants mixed up. No, I don't think so, uh, because the spirit of prophecy has always been the revealing of Jesus Christ. It's always been the testimony of Christ. The spirit has only ever had one thing to, to show and one thing to say, which has been Jesus Christ. Now, I'm t- and, and, and I'm talking about Exodus right now. I'm talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Pick a pick a pick a, a verse of of whatever book of the Old Testament you want to. What was God doing? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what God was doing. He was revealing Jesus Christ. That's what He did with them. And Jesus was in types and shadows, of course. But Jesus was the boundaries of. The covenant. Jesus was everything. He was everything God was showing showing them. He, Jesus was the lamb that uh, was slain on Passover. He was the blood that was on the door. He was also the door. He even said that. He said, I am the door. What else? He was the unleavened bread. He was the great dividing of the sea. He was, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the one baptizing into the cloud and the baptizing into the sea. He was the manna that fell from heaven. Jesus said that about himself in John chapter 6. He was the water out of the rock. Jesus said that or implied that many times. He was the consuming fire on top of the mountain. That's uh, Hebrews chapter 12. He was the high priest. He was the brazen serpent. John chapter 3, Jesus says that about himself. Moses lifted up the brazen serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up and whoever looks upon him will live be free from a, a greater snake bite he was the he was everything in the tabernacle or the temple he, he says that about himself destroy this temple in three days i'll raise up a new one he was the ark of the covenant he was every offering and sacrifice that is pleasant and uh he's all of it he's the holy oil the anointing all that doesn't mix with flesh you can't put it on flesh you can only you can only put it on the, that which represents Christ all and in all. It better not put it on flesh because you're cut off from Israel forever. That's what, that's what the Lord said. So, God was never teaching them things. God was revealing a son, revealing his son as the sum and the substance of everything in their relationship. And that's so important that we understand that. God... God never was just showing them different aspects. I mean, and that's aspects of 
of some external relationship. He was revealing. See, if they didn't, the reason I'm saying this is because if they didn't know, if God wasn't revealing exactly how they were supposed to relate to him in Christ, in very specific things that represented Christ, a very specific lamb. What if they didn't kill the lamb and go through the blood on the door? There was serious consequences to that. You know, what if they tried to bring their own fire to the altar? Well, Aaron's sons tried that. That didn't work. What if what if they all thought that they could be high priests instead of Aaron, the picture that God established? Well, the sons of Korah tried that, and that didn't turn out too well for them or their families. You know, there was very specific, there was a very specific way that God was revealing his son in the midst of Israel. And friends, that's exactly what he's doing, what he wants to do now. Because every way that they tried to relate to God that wasn't part of an exact an exact representation of something that he had revealed. Moses, make this exactly like I showed you on the mountain. Moses, wait, let me just tell you again, Moses. Do this exactly like the pattern I showed you on the mountain. If everything that they didn't do that was according to the pattern was flesh, was a golden calf, was an abomination... And that is a, that is precisely what, what it is today. Do, do you think that the substance is less real than the shadow? I mean, do you think that the, the consequences or the reality of, the, of, of what is now in Christ, the substance, do you think God has put away the boundaries of his son and just said, do whatever you want, as long as your heart's in it, I'll receive it? Do you think he has, now has a less strict or severe regard for his son and that which is in him, abiding in him, offered up by him, his life working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you think he thinks less of Christ in the new covenant than he does than he did in the old covenant? Friends, we need to understand that Christ was and is and always will be the only relationship that God has with man. He was that relationship in a variety of types and shadows and pictures in, old, in the Old Covenant. In the very, in, in fact, in, in the Old Covenants, because there's a variety of, there's a number of Old Covenants, all of which were pictures of the one eternal spiritual covenant, which is Christ. But, but Jesus is the substance of all of it. Jesus isn't just the way, the means by which you have a relationship with God. He's not just that. He is the relationship itself. He is, you see, by by being placed into him, by walking in in him within the 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 confines of his life and not transgressing that boundary. You see, you see, by by sharing his life, by relating to the Father in him, by offering his offering and his increase and his fragrance to the Father, receiving of His grace and truth, truth, being transformed by His light and life. That is the relationship. That is the relationship. And, 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 and what would have happened if Israel would not have, um, would not have paid attention to God's revelation of Christ and offered Him and related to Him in some other way? Well, we have we have a whole host of pictures of that exact same thing happening throughout the old the old covenant. 
look, look, read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You'll find out exactly what God thinks of anything outside of his son. If it's outside of Christ, outside of the law that defined, that, that described Christ, outside of the sacrifices that represented Christ, outside of the high priest who played the role of Christ, outside, you know, outside of any of it, what was it? It was an abomination. It was a golden calf. Now, what, what, what if we ask that question about today? What, what, see, we don't think that we need, doesn't it make sense that we need to first know Him by His Spirit, by the Spirit revealing Him, and, and learn to abide in Him and live by Him, live by His life, offer His fragrance and increase? You know, and, and, and the church world today, so much of the time just says, oh, no, you can just start, whether you know or not, just start your ministry. You know, get out there and sing your songs and study a book and do things according to your understanding of a book and and get out there and start pleasing the Lord. And I don't mean to be sarcastic or whatever about that or critical, but that's that's a really bad thing that we're doing. That's not, that's not just like a oops. I mean, if you want to talk about an oops, talk about the two sons of uh, of Aaron. That that would look a lot more like an oops to me, or, or, or the or the beginning of the new covenant with Ananias and Sapphira. That that was an, more of an oops, and yet God took those pretty seriously. Those were things that were contrary to His Holy Spirit. Those were lies to His Holy Spirit. The two sons of Aaron, they just brought a fire that wasn't from the brazen altar to light the the incense altar. What's the big deal with that? You can't light any incense unto God that doesn't come from his death. You can't do that. You can't take. You can't offer something up to the Lord that doesn't come from, from that judgment. You, you just can't do it. Well, they didn't understand that. It was like the day after they got the law. God understood it. God understood it really well. And, and what I'm trying to say to you is that we are trying to be the Lord's body without knowing His life revealed. And that's a, a really big deal. We're trying to serve the Lord without His light and life reigning in us. That's, that's very significant. I don't know, you know, why, why is that significant, Jason? I'll tell you, here's a verse that tells me why it's significant. Luke, Luke 16, 15. That which is highly esteemed in the eyes of man is an abomination in the eyes of God. There's a good reason why uh, it's a big deal. That which is highly esteemed in the eyes of man. You see, it starts out with, God knows your hearts. So Jesus, This is Jesus speaking. God knows your hearts. And that which is highly esteemed in the eyes of man is an abomination in the eyes of God. Some translations say, is detestable in the eyes of God. Well, the Lord came to give us something we didn't have. And not only do we not have it, even after we have it, we don't know it. And, and, and not knowing it, you could never, you'll never be conformed to it or be able to offer it up to the Father. You, you, how could you offer something you don't even know, you don't even see, you, don't even, you can't even discern? What if you can't even discern the life of God that He has placed in your soul from the life of Adam that has reigned in your soul forever? What if you, what if, what if, our blindness is to such a great degree that we don't even understand 
the dividing between his spirit and our soul? What if the word of God hasn't cut asunder in us to such a degree that we haven't even discerned the difference between our own soul and his spirit? Well, friends, that's a huge problem. And there's a really, really huge answer and solution to that problem. But let's first, let's first acknowledge the problem. The problem is, is, is immense. The solution is, is even more immense. The solution is the fact that God has always been pleased to reveal His Son. It pleased the Lord to reveal His Son in me, Paul says in Galatians 1.16. He shines His light in the darkness of the human heart to bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what He does. That's what He loves to do. He wants it wants to do it more than you want Him to do it. And some people, you know, they ask me, "Well, then why, why isn't why don't I experience that happening?" Well, it's it's not something that you, you know, God God asks the human heart, "Do you, you want to do you want to know my Son?" And, and the human mouth says yes. But that question is not answered with the human mouth. That question is answered with, the, with your life. That question is answered moment by moment, day by day, in your own heart. It's, do you want to know his life? Because everything of his life is going to contradict, cut off... And, and remove everything of yours. So the knowing of Christ's life is a cross to your own. The picking up of his yoke is, is light and, and, and peaceful to one man and it's a cross to another. You see? So that it's not, it's not just as simple because I've had people, I remember sitting down especially with one guy, this is a number of years ago where we sat down for lunch one day and he said, listen, I, I, Heard you talking about this for a while, and I've asked the Lord three times now, and three specific times He prayed for it for for Christ to be revealed. And He goes, "Nothing's happening," and you know I'm starting to doubt that this is even real. And I, you know, I I didn't know what to say. I can't remember what I said. Probably something not that great, but that stuck with me just because I didn't I didn't really know how to put into words what I thought was wrong with that. But now I feel like I, I can put it into words. Here here's what's wrong with that. What's wrong with that is that it's not a request you make with your mouth. It's a need you face with your heart. And you, you pour that need out to the Lord. And, and you, you keep turning to Him for that life that you don't have. And you recognize that the thing that you've called life is the very thing that stands in the way. And the things that you're holding on to are the very things that are that are not letting him do what you're asking him to do with your mouth. And man, that's hard for us to to accept. Our words are not really our prayers. They can be, if the Lord, you know, they can be expressions of our prayers. But our heart is our prayer. It is lifting up fragrances of, of our needs and desires and our wishes all the time, regardless of what your mouth says. Your mouth might be saying one thing, your heart is crying out for something else, and usually that something else is not the Lord. So you don't have to tell me or tell the, you don't, you're not tricking anybody. You know, nobody, nobody's falling for it. You know, you say, I want Christ revealed. He wants to reveal his son. He wants to reveal his son uh, more than you've ever desired. 
to have him revealed. And yet, he will not mix seeds. He will not, the two do not go together. He's, you're not pulling the wool over his eyes by telling him, every, you know, even every night before you go to sleep, please reveal your son to me tomorrow, you know. It's your heart that prays. It's your heart that, that allows him to do in you what he desires to do. And, and, and every, every step of that growth is a putting away of the first and an establishing of the second. It is a putting off of the old man and a putting on of the new. It is a taking down, tearing down, crucifying the, the man that God rejects and a revealing an increase in a government of the, of the only man that God accepts. You see, that's, and that's what the heart, the heart that goes on in the true knowledge of Christ is the heart that is willing to face that judgment. And Jesus, you know, Jesus said this. Jesus said, I'm not making this up. Jesus said this in a bunch of different places, in a bunch of different ways. You can't know me unless you lose everything, hate everything, you know, even your own life, lose your life. Anyone who tries to save his life will, 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 you know, lose it. And anyone that loses his life will find it. How many times, how many different ways does Jesus say that? Paul says it in his own ways a bunch of times too. So does John, so does Peter. You know, he, he, Jesus, Peter says the gospel was preached to the dead so that men might be judged in the flesh. Wait, how does it get? Men might be judged according to man in the flesh and live according to God in the spirit. Or something like that. You can look it up. It's something very close to that. But it's all over the place is my point. And, and so getting back, getting back to my, my thing here. He gives us something we don't have. And even after re- receiving it, we don't know it. And of course, if we don't know it, we can't distinguish it from our own fleshy emotions and our own fleshy life and our own fleshy zeal. Of course not. Of course we can't do that. How can you, you know, how can you discern until light appears what you're looking at? How can you, you know, you're standing in a pitch dark room and, and, and you can't see a single thing and, and there's a giraffe and there's an elephant in there. They don't look anything alike. But how can you distinguish until light appears? You can't see anything. How can you distinguish between a golden calf and a true offering of the Spirit of Christ working on the altar of your heart? You can't. They're both just ideas in your heads, in your head until the light appears. You have to know the thing that was freely given to you by God. Which is exactly, incidentally, what Paul says the Spirit of God was given for. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That's a, that's a really comforting verse. That God desires, he, that He's given you His Spirit to reveal it. Jesus says that he will send the the comforter and he will take what is mine and reveal it unto you. He will guide you into all truth. He will show you. He will show you. That's, That's what he does. He shows. He shows you what? He shows you Christ. He's always been wanting to to show humanity Christ. He doesn't exalt himself. He comes from the Father to glorify the Son. 
And in knowing the Son, you see the Father. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do. Well, all right. I just wanted I just wanted to say a few more things about the necessity of Christ reveal. I feel like I said, I feel like we could stop here and just I have a whole bunch of analogies and a whole bunch of things that you can find in other teachings online that we could talk about, but I just really want to make it I don't think Paul is I don't think Paul is talking about waiting in time for a future event here in in 1 Corinthians. I don't think he's talking about be patient. Because you just might be lucky enough, though the last 50 generations since this was written have not, but you just might be lucky enough to see some external miraculous event with your natural eyes. Friends, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Especially since there's something so far greater, even if something miraculous did happen externally in our generation with the natural eyes. What is more, what is better, what is greater, what is more soul transforming than Christ, who is light, changing your soul into his image by appearing in his own temple? I think that's the great expectation of the gospel. I think that is the living expectation that Peter talks about. We are born again unto a living expectation by, through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So, how do you know, let me, let me put it this way, to introduce the next verse. How do you know Christ? Or how do you learn not to offer up to Him the golden calves of, uh, of man's ideas? Well, I think you can say it this way. You, you, you start to really know Him in the light of His own day. In the light of His own day. There's a day that declares him. <laughs> I love that. Paul, Paul talks about that day a bunch. A day that declares what is him and what isn't him. There's a light. There's a, there's a day that rises in the heart. doesn't really matter what natural day it is. It could be Thursday. It could be Memorial Day. It could be your birthday. It doesn't matter what natural day because this isn't a natural day. There's a day that rises in the heart and causes the shadows to fly away. The Bible has a whole lot to say about this day. And and once again, man, as we always do, man naturalizes spiritual things in our ignorance. We, we carnalize things that were spiritual before there ever was a natural representation of them. Do you understand what I just said? Be, before anything natural existed, and all the testimonies are in the natural, right? The natural is the realm of the testimony. It's the realm of the shadow. Before there was ever a natural day that 
painted a picture of a spiritual day, there was the spiritual day. Before there was ever natural bread, there was a greater kind of bread that was true food indeed. Before there was ever natural darkness, there was spiritual darkness. You see that the testimony is in the natural realm and the natural is not first. It's first in our experience because we're born of the flesh. We're born of a woman. We're born into the natural realm. But, but there was something that existed before the, the natural testimonies. And everything that comes into natural creation cannot be the spiritual substance. It cannot be. You see, Jesus always had an eye, a, a living view to the spiritual substance and no one got it. He was always looking at, staring with, his, with the eye of faith, staring at the spiritual substance and speaking of spirit and truth and they missed him on every level. He, he saw the, a temple that was, that was in the heart of God before the creation of the world and spoke of raising up that temple from, from the dead after they had knocked it down and crucified it. And, and they said, this temple took 46 years to build. What are you talking... You know, he's speaking of wine. He's speaking of vessels being trans, transformed into containers of new wine. And they're thinking he's just trying to liven up a wedding. They don't understand the point. He's talking about leaven that fills the soul with the with the the sin and Adamic man and thinking of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they think that he's talking about how they forgot to bring bread. They just can't get it. Everything he's saying to them, he's opening natural blind eyes, but the whole time he's telling them that they're the blind ones, spiritually blind. Let him who has eyes see, let him who has ears hear. He's speaking to them of what he knows, and yet they don't understand. If I speak to you of natural things you don't understand, how in the world, Nicodemus, are you going to understand the things that are spiritual? Because the things that are spiritual are first. They existed in God before he ever created the realm of the shadow, the realm of the testimony. And here we come in our pomp, in our, in our total pride and ignorance and unbelievable uh, presumption and we 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 look at these natural things even natural days and we think that that, that somehow that that somehow all of the promises and pr- prophecies that have to do with the day of the lord are going to be fill, fulfilled in a natural day and they're going to they're in a 24 hour period of time or or or, or maybe a, a slightly stretched period of time i mean what do you think the day of the Lord is? What do you think the life of the Lord is? I mean, it, it's so wrong, friends. There has been a day that the Lord separated from night long before that he even created the sun. Do you know that he created the sun on the fourth day and he separated darkness from light in the very beginning on the first day? There wasn't even a natural day existing when he created the light that he called day. Have you ever noticed that? Genesis chapter 1 verse 4. He saw that he he made the light. He separated the darkness from it. He called the light day. There wasn't time yet. I mean there wasn't a keeping of time by stars and moons and suns. That that wasn't even there. That was four days later. However you interpret those, those days. Some people literal days. Some people ages. Whatever it was. It wasn't there. 
There was a light known to God. There was a light that he knew. It was different, separate, and, and separated forever from the darkness. And it had a name. That light, before there was 24-hour periods of natural days and a natural earth and a natural testimony, governing natural events of natural men, before any of that ever existed, there was a light that he knew. He loved that light. He, he separated it from the darkness and it had nothing to do with the darkness. And he, you know what he called that light? He gave it a name. Genesis 1.5. He called the light day. He didn't call the first 24 hours day. He didn't do that. He didn't say, look, it's 24 hours. Like the sun went down, the sun came up. Let's, let's call that a day. No, he called the day, the light the day. And then he created a natural testimony of that in the natural creation that had to do with a natural sun rising and, and, and going up into the sky and causing natural shadows to flee away. You see, first was the spiritual substance. Then was the natural shadow. First, and, and, and now in our experience, first is the natural shadow. I understand that. You know, in our experience, first is the natural, then is the spiritual. Paul talks about that in 1 first, first Corinthians 15. Uh, 15. That's man's order. Man is born into the shadow realm first. He's born into the night. He's born into the long night of Adam. And then he needs to be born of the day. Then he comes into the day where the shadows flee away. I I, I understand that from man's perspective, night is first. And that's why why God, uh, for Israel and for his people, he always counted days starting with the night when the sun went down that's when sabbath started that's when the day started at night it started and then the day came because that's the order for man but god had a light before he created the the shadows god knew a light you know he knew christ the light the wisdom of god the truth of god he knew that light and it was contrary and separate from the darkness in which the, the, the reign of the enemy and the reign of a man's imagination are, are so deep and profound in that darkness. And what I'm, here's what I'm trying to tell you guys. The Bible talks a whole lot about a, the day of the Lord, a very, a very awesome day. It's a day, it, it fills up the prophets. You just, just do it. Just sit down and read through the prophets. Read through the book of Isaiah. I don't know how many times the word day or that day or this day, the day of the Lord appears. It's so many times. It's, it, I mean, you could, you could find out pretty quickly on a, on a, um, you know, Bible program, but, but it, it's, it's everywhere. There's a whole in that day, the branch of the Lord will be glorious and the fruit of, I mean, in that day, the people will stream to the mountain of the Lord's inheritance. In that day, he just goes on, you know, one after another promises. In that day, the enemies of the Lord are vanquished. In that day, and he goes on and on and on. And then, the New Testament comes. And, and, and then Jesus says, you know what, guys, you have to work while it's day. Because in the night, no man can work. And here's the problem with you guys. You don't have light in you. You remember that verse? It's in, I think it's in, John, it's in John chapter 12. Maybe it's in John chapter 11. I might waste a lot of time looking for it here, but I, I love that verse. Um, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because if he, see, he sees the light of the world. I mean, come on. This is obviously, ta- what is Jesus talking about here? This isn't even the verse I'm looking for. 
Oh, no, yeah, it is. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That's the problem. The day wasn't in them. Do you see? This is John 11, 9. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. Obviously, he's speaking of a, he's using the natural day to speak of a greater day. Because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because, because why? Because he, this, is the, this is the nature of the problem. This is the real big deal. Here it is. Because there's no light in the natural man. None. Until what? Until the night comes to an end. And the day begins to dawn. And the day star begins to rise in your heart, Peter says. Now, we're obviously not going to get to all these verses. I have a ton of them. But here's what I'm telling you. The day is not defined or known in time. Time doesn't... Time is part of the shadow. You understand? 24-hour days, that's part of the picture. That's the thing that he made to look like the thing he was seeing before the creation of the world. That's the... That's the um, the testimony. That's the thing he, you know, staring into the face of his son, he, he grabbed a big lump of clay and he made the world. And he grabbed another one, set it on fire, and he made the sun. And he made the thing look like, look like the one he was staring at. But you can't find the fulfillment of, of the day or of anything in the, in the realm of shadows, in the thing that he made out of clay. You can't. You have to come from the clay to the substance. You have to come, you have to pass out of Egypt and go into the land. You have to come out of the first into the second. That's where you find it. In the beginning, the light had a name. The light that he separated from the darkness had a name. And that name was day. And from that moment onward, the word day had had, had far more to do in God's mind with a specific kind of light that is contrasted from the darkness. It had very little to do, except in a shadowy way, with time passing. And now the Lord used a bunch of uh, things in the day, I mean, the day of rest or the day when Joshua held the sun still in the sky and all the enemies of the Lord were vanquished and all these, there's a bunch of different testimonies of that spiritual day in natural things. But you're going to bump into a whole bunch, this is just one of them here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 8. You're going to bump into a whole bunch of uh, places where the word day appears and and the temptation and the car the temptation for the heart that is still asleep in the long night of adam in the long night of shadows and the long long night that we refuse to wake up from the the night in which we are reveling in our own drunkenness and that night that we will not not wanting to face the day in that night in the, the 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 man in the mind of the man who sleeps during the day even after the day has come who stays asleep and pretends that it's night that man in the mind of that man you're going to look at those verses that have to do with the day and you're going to try to make it natural and in some scriptures it kind of works it, it, it kind of i mean you know what i'm saying i mean it, it, you can make it sound good but then there's other scriptures where it makes absolutely no sense, none at all, to to understand a natural the Lord's day to be a natural day. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make. I, I don't think it makes hardly any. Na- well, I guess you you can make it work in some verses, but other verses 
you have to face the reality that it's not a natural day. If, for instance, in the in the prophets, it's a great and terrible day. There's so many great things described and so many terrible things described in the day of the Lord. How are they all going to happen within a natural day? I mean, it's it couldn't even happen within a natural year. It's it's an it's a it's can't be. It's you know the the sun would have to stand still in the sky for a lot longer than one whole extra day to make that day be the natural day of the Lord. And then you start bumping into scriptures where Paul says, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. Or, since we are all of the day and not of the night, let us be sober. Or, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4, 3... It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human day. In fact, I do not even judge myself. That word in your Bibles, it probably says human court. But it has a little A or a 1 or a 2 or something next to it. Look in the margin. It says literally it is the word day. I'm not worried about being judged by a human day. And he goes on to talk about how he's only judging in the appearing of the Lord. Or in Revelation, that there is a... In, in the spiritual city of God, there's no need for the natural sun anymore or natural days because the, the Lamb is their light. The Lamb is the day. Or that all the times that Christ says, I will raise you up in the last day. And it's actually not on. It's the Greek word "n." You can look that up too if you want. He doesn't say, I'm going to raise you up on the last day. That's how we translate it. But it's actually, I'm going to raise you up in the, the last day. Which makes a whole lot more sense to me. The day, there is a day, and I'm trying to wrap it up here, but there is, there is, a, there is a light by which, now, now, now try to hear this, if, if, you, if you've missed everything else, try to just hear this. There is a light by which, with which the Lord Jesus Christ sees all things. There is a light with which God sees and he walks in that light. He lives in that light. He knows all things in that light. And and we have the opportunity to walk with him in that light and have fellowship with the Father and in and, and with the Son by going into the light, walking in the day, being sons of their day, being sons of the light. You see, that is an invitation that we should take so seriously. We can become blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, irreproachable. That's, the, that's what the revelation of Christ is meant to do in us. And as the day dawns in us and it increases in, in us, the shadows fly away. At first, there's many, many shadows. When the, when, the, when the day begins to dawn in your heart, friends, it's mostly shadows. Just like in the morning when there's just a line of light on the horizon. It's all shadows, man. You still can't see very much at all. Because, do you know what I mean? The shadows are so long in the morning when it first, and in the evening too, but in the morning when the sun first comes up, shadows are long and big and it's, it's hard to, there's things that are still hidden, lots of things because of those shadows. But as the day dawns, as the, as you go on and on to the perfect day, the full day, as it says in so many scriptures, 
the full day. Well, then the shadows disappear and we're judged by the light and that we're judged by his truth. We're judged by the spirit of burning and, and, and the heat of the sun and the shadows they, 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 they shrink, they become smaller and smaller until all things are light and you can walk in the light and have fellowship in his light. And that's about the greatest thing I, I, I know. That's about the greatest thing I could ever tell you. That, that, that here is our message, John says, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There's no shadow of turning at all. There's no shifting shadows. In him is light. It's perfect light. And that would be amazing in and of itself. But what's so amazing to me is that the soul of man is invited to walk in that same light, to face that same dawning, to come out of the long night of Adamic slumber, to wake up, rub your eyes and walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with the father and the son. Well, okay, I'm going to stop that.